I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We are planning your financial future. If you've got a question for Don and Andy, you can call now, leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. And don't forget their website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can actually ask a question there via the Lister Inquiry button and check out old shows as well. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good morning. Scott. Good morning. Going to start things off with pension plan and get right into it here. Speaking of listener inquiry buttons, mm-hmm. so we had a question from a listener and and it was about pension plans. Mm-hmm. And like so many people, the, the question basically framed around, I am about to retire and my <clears throat> the company I work for has given me an option. Mm-hmm. Do I want to take a monthly pension or do I want to receive a lump sum? Right. Uh, a commuted value is the technical term. And so the, the, the question around that in terms to Don and I sounds very straightforward. You know, it's, I'm going to get, you know, 500 bucks a month on the pension or I can get a hundred grand from the, uh, taken out of the pension. What should I do? And, uh, this is probably one of the most difficult questions to answer that involves so much more analysis. And as the numbers grow, it becomes even more and more important, Mm -hmm. but it really drove the conversation between Don and I about, you know, what, um, how much goes into actually deciding something like that it and seems how much work behind. I know. You know, when you somebody asks, oh, it's a one-line two, question. Option one or option two? Yeah. yeah. Which one? <laughs> Let's flip Depends a coin. Depends how long I'm going to live. <laughs> well. That's one of them. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So we started making a list. And as we came down through the list, so first of all, we had age. You know, how old are you now? Um, health. What's your health status? Mm-hmm. Will you, maybe you, how long will you live, right? Mm-hmm. That's the question. Um, are you married? And what is the age of your spouse, older, younger? Uh, Do you have any debts? Um, What other investments might you have that would factor into that decision? Do you have RRSP room? Have you maximized every year or maybe there's some room available? What about TFSAs? Have you been using TFSAs? How much of that have you maximized already? What about income tax? What sort of, what's your tax bracket? How much, um, do you have any carry forwards that are in your mm. income tax or review of your income tax for both you and your spouse? Uh, risk tolerance. How much risk are you prepared to take? Yeah. Is it, do you like looking after those things or do you mind, do you want the pension plan just to take it over and you don't have to think about it again? Uh, what type of pension is it? Is it, does it have indexing for inflation? Does it have survivor benefits? And and generally they would, but how much or what are your options for that? Is there bridging available between now, if you're under age 65, maybe there might be an option to receive an enhanced payout until age 65. Canada pension plan, how much are you eligible for? Mm -hmm. Have you started taking it yet? What are your thoughts there? And then work. You know, is this going to be the last job or are you going to think about part-time somewhere or are you going to go on to another job full-time? So there's a lot of questions that yeah. come around this. And so pension plans, which I mean, are they're obviously one of our key sources of our retirement income. And there's a lot of terminology that if you've got a part, if you're a member of one at your place where you work, you know, there's talk, they talk about vesting, they talk about flex benefits. There's all kinds of terminology around uh, pension plans. And most pension plans, once you get in and you sign up, 
And uh, a friend of mine asked, my son just started his new job and they're asking about TFSAs and group RSPs and pension plans and all of that and stock option plans. And so all of that, all those decisions get made up front, but how many of us, once that's automated and it's done, it just comes off our paycheck, yeah. don't even want to look at it. Yeah. It's just, it's automated. Forget about it. And there's basically two types of pension plans. There's the DB defined benefit or the DC defined contribution. A defined benefit, your what you're going to get when you retire is going to be based on your age, your salary, and the years of service. The defined contribution plan is going to be a set contribution where you put money in and your employer puts money in and the value of those plus growth plus interest is going to determine how much money you have and then you can decide how do I create an income from that. But with the defined benefit plans, the DB, you often they might be indexed as well, mm-hmm. and but a lot aren't. But they also, uh, you'll hear about flex benefits or flex op- options. And these are voluntary contributions to the pension plan, which you can then use later to purchase other add-ons, like options for a car. Mm-hmm. So you can buy a cost of living indexing. <clears throat> Pardon me. You can buy a bridge benefit. You could buy an unreduced or earlier unreduced pension. So those flex benefits come into play later on at the decision right. process. Uh, there's also DPSPs, which stands for Deferred Profit Sharing Plan. That is an employer-only contribution. So it's from uh, your profits of your company are put into a plan on your behalf. You right. do not contribute to it. And uh, that would be taken out and converted to an RSP at retirement. <clears throat> and then finally, there's group RSPs, <clears throat> which are voluntary contributions. And sometimes these are matched by an employer as well, but often then you have flexibility. Should it go into your name? Should it go into a spousal RSP? So there are different options as well. And then finally, what happens when you leave? What happens if you quit or you leave work early before retirement? What do you have to do then? And vesting, which is that term meaning that all of the benefits that you've accrued or that have built up are all yours. Sometimes it's two years, sometimes it's longer. If you're vested, then typically you have a choice. If it's a small amount, you might be able to take it in cash. You, uh, most people would have to transfer it to what's called a lira. This is a fancy RSP. Mm-hmm. It's blocked in. You cannot take money out of it. Or you could transfer it to another plan in certain cases. So there's a lot of decisions that come into play. And, and we know every type of pension plan, except the group RSP, requires an employer contribution. Uh, some other factors in both the DB and DC plans, the amount of your contribution is predetermined. And it's usually based on a percentage of your salary. Uh, With a group RSP, you have to make a choice about how much you contribute and where it goes. With a DPSP, again, it's totally funded by the employer. And it's often accompanied by other plans, such as a group RSP, where you put in your personal contributions. Uh, Some other other, uh, things worth noting. Every type of plan except the group RSP will create a pension adjustment. And a pension adjustment is on your yearly tax return reduces the amount of personal RSP room you have. Mm -hmm. So it reduces your personal RSP contribution limit. Uh, In general, the benefits from both the DB and the DC cannot be accessed until you leave your employer. And then the assets, and also the assets cannot be seized by any creditors. So they're creditor proof. And with the exception of the defined benefit plan, you may also be required to choose your pension plans investments. And that's an important decision that you need to talk to us about or a a professional about because it obviously can directly affect how much money you're going to have at the end of the day. And 
so the whole concept about defined benefit, defined contribution plans, um, the portability feature, I think is something that, uh, in terms of the defined benefit plan, um, it's a personal plan. Should you take that money out, you're in many cases, you're allowed to take what's called a commuted value or a lump sum out of a defined benefit plan. Uh, there's going to be a taxable portion to that plan. Um, you're going to perhaps lose benefits in the sense that um, you've got health benefits, mm-hmm. dental benefits, uh, maybe some drug benefits as well. All of those things, maybe out of province or out of country travel, it's included when you're part of that defined benefit plan. So you may lose those as well, and you would also lose indexing. And so um, in the defined contribution plan, so I know I'm flipping those two around mm-hmm. a lot, but it's important to, to know that there, there is quite a bit of difference. When, uh, when it comes time to get money out, it's going to come out as cash or it's going to go to a LIF, which stands for a lifetime income fund, or to an annuity. And typically you have to pick a joint last survivor option if you're married or have a, a spouse or common law partner, uh, unless your spouse signs a waiver. And in Ontario, you're allowed to do something called an unlocking for a defined contribution plan. So let's back that up for a second. What does that mean? A defined contribution plan, so remember you're putting money in and you've decided what investment it's going to go to. Your employer is matching that and they're putting it into a similar investment of your choice. When you retire and you take that money out, at the point when you convert your defined contribution, you've got a pile of money there. So let's say you've got half a million dollars in that plan now. At that point, when you take it out and you start to receive an income by converting it to a LIF, lifetime income fund, that means you have to take out a certain amount each year. You have the option to, and it would make sense, everybody does, to unlock half of it. So 250,000 would remain in a LIF the lifetime income fund, mm-hmm. minimum and maximum each year from the, from the, for the rest of your life. The other half gets to go into a regular RIF, an irregular sort of RSP RIF. And, um, and the advantage of that is you can control how much money comes out of that. You right. could decide to take more or you can decide to take less. And that's important if we're trying to manage your tax bracket in terms of old age security clawbacks or if it boosts boosting into a higher uh, tax bracket as well and pension splitting is the other factor or the other interesting piece both of them are a little bit different for each one if you're part of that the one we just talked about the defined contribution plan so you've got five hundred thousand dollars you start getting an income from it by converting it to a lif or a riff uh by unlocking half you cannot split that income until you're over age 65, hmm. right? With a defined benefit plan where you knew what you were going to get every month, you're getting a regular check payment from your pension plan. If you're under age 65, you can split that with your spouse. Right. So under age 65, splitting is allowed for a defined benefit plan. A defined contribution plan has to be 65 or older. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and the idea of income splitting is fantastic because it lets you save tax. Uh, we talked about that in terms of marginal tax bracket management. You know, if your income is too high, you want to split shift off up to mm-hmm. half of it to your spouse. Maybe you're getting old age security clawbacks. That's another way to, to use income splitting to avoid that. And age credit amounts. So everybody age 65 and older, if your income is over 32000 
you get an additional, you get an age credit for just being alive at age 65. In addition to your personal exemption, you can earn more money and not pay tax. But they claw that benefit back once your income goes over 32000 So there's another level or target that we'll often use right. for income splitting to try and minimize tax overall for a couple. So pension planning and, and the decision to leave money in a pension plan or take money out of a pension plan is a really important decision. Um, we, have, we go through advantages and disadvantages of both leaving and, and taking the money. And then we sort of talk to the client. And once we understand all those factors that I was asking about at the very beginning, the list that, made, that Don and I made, the short yes. list, now we sort of get a picture and we can begin to talk about a recommendation, what makes the most sense. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. And you can call now and leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Talking about the new retirement part two. Yes. Uh, part one, we did talk about a little bit last week about. Right. Just to rehash that, um, kind of the old, your grandmother's retirement or grandfather's retirement was worked to 65 and really didn't have to mm -hmm. worry about much after that. They usually die before 75. Yeah. <laughs> and interest rates were high and they all had pensions. So mm -hmm. very simple. Um, and then Andy, again, just went over how pensions worked, which was great. Um, RSP is what we went over last week and, and how, how you have to make sure they're invested. But now you go through, what about the non-registered investments? Okay, you have to invest that money also. Mm -hmm. And that's playing a big role. So there's four ways you can receive um, investment income, interest income, dividend income, capital gains, and rent. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you have a rental property per se. And interest and rent are taxed at the highest rate. So they are simply added to your income. Mm -hmm. And so if your income was, say, 70000 you added $5,000 to it, you're in a 30% tax bracket. So you pay about $1,500 tax. Okay. Now, if your income is two hundred twenty, and you add... Uh, some extra income to that, now you're paying 53.5% tax. So if you have a rental property, the income is considered taxable. It is. Yeah, income rather. The income. Now, nice thing about rental is it's net rental income. Right. So if you're getting $1,000 a month for argument's sake, you get to deduct um, your property taxes, right. hydro, some general repairs, you know, whatever you're paying mm -hmm. to maintain, even ads for trying to get tenants. Mm -hmm. So... All that is deducted and then your net rental income. Right. But it's interesting, when you actually take the net rental income, people often think, okay, what well, my return is going to be pretty good. Quite often the return is is about 2%. Mm -hmm. So you, where they're banking on is the properties are rising in value because nobody really, would really want to work that hard for 2%. Right. Because they could do that just in a, say, a GIC. Right. And certainly in the last number of years, it's been a fantastic thing to be a landlord because mm -hmm. the properties have gone up. <clears throat> mm -hmm. But the future, time will tell. We'll find out. Everything's cyclical, and generally speaking, the average rate of return in real estate in Canada is about 1% over inflation. Mm -hmm. Okay? So dividends are taxed at a lower rate. In fact, if your income is under 44000 a year, you don't even pay tax on dividend income. 
Okay, so it's a great way to get tax-free income every year. Um, capital gains, you're paying at half the tax rate. So if you are in the highest tax bracket, well, instead of paying 53%, you're paying about 26%. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the nice thing about capital gains is you can defer the gain quite often to uh, other years. So um, if you own a stock, and it's say Bell Canada, and you hold on to it for 10 years and then sell it, then you are collecting the gain at that time. You don't have to pay it every year. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of be more selective to which years you want to pay the tax. Now, where this is great from a retirement standpoint is how to best suit your tax plan. Meaning, if you're going to lose your old age security one year, you might as well go big. Just yeah. lose it, mm-hmm. okay? I'm going to lose it anyway. I'm going to have a big income year. Get it out of the way so that I can maybe get um, old age security for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's better than losing it every year. And this is where, you know, Andy and I have sit, sat down and said, let's just get your income to 150 this year. And then you'll get your income back to 75 next year. So you get your OAS. Mm-hmm. So perhaps every other year you can get your old age security. Right. But I, I do see a lot of people, they're making about 115000 every year and they're losing their old age security every right. single year. Mm. Um, one thing with the non-registered investments is you get to write off the advisor fees. So normally the advisor fee is about 1%. So for our, depending on the amount of assets clients have with us, it will say right on your statement, the advisor fee. Now, this is only for non-registered investments. Mm-hmm. It does not count for RSPs or tax-free savings accounts, RESPs. Those are all registered. Right. Okay. But the one thing, even though we've, I've set this up for many clients, quite often they forget about it. It's on the statement. It's at the very last page. So all those investors group clients that have non-registered money, go back, check their statements, and make sure they got to write off their advisory fee. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the nice thing about advisory fee is, is an actual tax deduction. It's not a credit, okay? Whereas most of the things these days are tax credits, which are really like a deduction at the lowest tax rate, mm-hmm. where this is like an RSP. Advisory fees are just like an RSP. It comes right off your income to try to get, to get down to your taxable income. Um, the other part is on capital gains. While I'm talking about statements, in the last two years, they've had this thing called a T5008. And it's showing on the back of your statements. And it doesn't matter which company you're dealing with. It's the same, it, same basically statement. And it's, and it's not sent to you separately. So if you're getting your capital gains and you're normally used to seeing them in a T3 slip or a T5 slip, mm-hmm. this is on the back of your statement. And it's a T5008. Make sure you give that to your tax preparer. I know we've already done your tax returns. I just had last week uh, a client that didn't see that on the last page of their statement or the advisory fees. So they are getting a bit of a tax bill on the capital gains, but they are also getting a tax deduction on the advisory fee. Mm-hmm. Now, that being the case, you might have lost carry forwards from previous years and your accountant or tax preparer would have those probably logged in, but you need to give the tax preparer your notice of assessment because if they don't have that data, they won't know that it was carried forward. So also part of uh, investing is geographic. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at where to invest, well, quite frankly, Canada, Canadians love to invest in Canada Mm -hmm. and we represent 3% of the stock market. So we all talk about people, oh yeah, I invest in the banks, I do this. Well, they're all Canadian. And there is less volatility because you're in our own currency. Mm-hmm. So you're at least you're in Canadian dollars. So you don't have to worry about what 
the euro's doing <clears throat> right. or you know whatever is doing or the US dollar's doing you only have to worry so there is more safety investing in Canada but at the same time it's very narrow the investments mm-hmm. and so I always look at Canada pension plan if you google Canada pension plan investments you can actually get on their website and it shows where they're investing mm-hmm. and they're only about 20% Canadian so here's our Canada pension plan and they only put 20% Canada. Yeah. Okay. So if they're, they must know something. Yeah. And they're running a lot of money. Um, I, I, I suspect they're running more money than any pension fund. And they only got 20% Canada, a fair bit in US and Europe, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I, I found US, uh, Europe, <coughs> and Canada was almost the same. So number, f- number four on the new retirement is what do we do with that cottage? Mm-hmm. Now, that's a big one. And it's complicated. That is a, almost a whole s- sit-down meeting just on the cottage. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's very emotional. But because what happens is upon the death, these little cottages that you paid, f- I don't know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 for 20 years ago are now worth four hundred, five hundred thousand. 500000 Yeah. And upon your, the second death, if it's jointly owned with you and your spouse, now you got a $200,000 capital gain taxed in the year of death. And if you don't have the tax bill, it's great. The kids, you always say, oh, the kids love it. They're going to want this cottage. And maybe they do. But they have to pay, the tax bill has to be paid first. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that a lot of people are getting is estate insurance, life insurance, simply to cover the tax on the cottage. Yeah. So that the kids, the next generation can enjoy the cottage also. So just a thought. Another thing is some of the cottages have actually outpaced the rate of return of your principal residence. Hmm. And you do can, you can elect which you would rather be your principal resident. Right. And it might make sense to keep the cottage because you're not going to sell it anyway. Right. Have that as your principal resident. And when you sell your house before you say move into the old age home, if you will, you pay the tax on the principal residence then. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can carry forward a capital gain up to five years. So I did have one client, they sold their house to a nephew and they paid, and the nephew paid him the, this client over five years. So they said, let's say it was a hundred thousand dollar capital gain. They split the gain twenty thousand a year for five years, mm-hmm. and that way the client never lost their old age security. So Great idea. there's lots of thing ways to do it. It's just you need to sit down and work this out. It's imperative to to make sure you have a financial plan. Number six, second marriages. Now oh we're my. we're seeing that. A lot more, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> possibly because people are living a lot longer. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that might be one of them. Going through several spouses. Yep, uh, and with that, your whole financial plan changes dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, quite often, you have your first set of kids, and you got your second set of kids, mm-hmm. and you might have an ex-spouse um, or you be a widower from the first one, and but you want to protect the first set of kids too. Yeah. And it's very tricky. And this is where communication is extremely important. I've worked through this with many clients and we work through how we should construct the will, at least getting ideas so they don't kind of go blindly and see the lawyer Mm -hmm. because really your financial planner should know the situation better than your lawyer Mm -hmm. because they know everything about your financial and and quite often, obviously your family situation because we are trying to work a financial plan around the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So the surviving spouse, interesting enough, depending on which province you live in, but in Ontario, the surviving spouse can take his or her entitlement under the family law equ- equ- equalization rather than the will. 
So if the family law says this is the way it is, well, then the will doesn't matter. Yeah. And so you could be hurting your kids without even knowing it, even if you did a proper will. Mm. So this does vary between provinces. So you do need to speak to your lawyer to make sure if you are in your second marriage that kind of your I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. But again, going back to uh, having an open discussion is key. And I just had a client recently. This was kind of, a you know, that albatross around their neck for mm. years. Finally, they just, they oh, after, say, five or six years, they got it drafted and it's all figured out. Now, that being the case, I, uh, you know, on a second marriage, quite often people will own their next house because let's say one person sold their house and the other person sold their house and they bought a new house together. Mm-hmm. Second marriage, both of them. Well, they'll often buy that in tenants in common so that one spouse owns literally half the house. Mm-hmm. So upon the death of one spouse, that money goes through that person's will. It doesn't automatically go to the joint joint owner. Right. Okay, because it, they actually own half a house. And when I set this up originally, both were on a second marriage and it was all fine. They both have kids. But over 20 years, this is a pretty solid marriage now. Mm-hmm. And now they're very dependent on each other. And we had to redo the will because if one of them died, the other wouldn't have been able to s- stay in the house. Right. So now we had to re- totally redo the will so that it's upon the death of one spouse, the other spouse can live in that house mm-hmm. until they can't anymore right? Or, or choose not to. So again, very, very um, important to not only draft a proper will in second marriages, but to make sure you make changes along the way as time goes on. Uh, disability. Well, there's two types of bis- disabilities when you're in retirement. One is your own, mm-hmm. which I do find a lot of people are missing the disability deduction because they just haven't gone to the doctor to uh, ask your doctor to fill in the form. Mm-hmm. So that's important and they will go back. So you will see, uh, you can get that disability deduction and go back say five years. But second, if you have a child that has a disability, how do you make sure that that disabled child is looked after? Yeah. And that's important. So what you need to do is, is send put money into some sort of trust so that a trustee can then look after your disabled son or daughter with the money you left behind. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, and, and if you have more than one child, then at least, you, you know, maybe his or her brother and sister will look after them financially. Okay, so that's, a, again, one of the new newer areas because, um, you know, with medicine and so forth, disabled people are living a lot longer too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, not right. only we are, but yeah. so are the disabled. Mm-hmm. So, which is great, but we have to look at the money side. Um, family loans, this is definitely part of the new retirement. We're getting, especially to say the baby boomers, not only in some cases are they supporting their parents mm-hmm. because perhaps they didn't have enough money. They didn't know they're going to live so long. Yeah. Um, but they're also looking after their, their kids and they're lending money to their kids. So you end up in the sandwich kind of situation. Either way, even if you lent just say to your kids, in, in, the, in British Columbia right now, interestingly enough, 44% of all new houses have family helping them purchase that house. Isn't that something? Eh? Yeah, 44%. Yeah. So almost 50%. And it's getting pretty close to that here in yeah. the Hamilton, Burlington, Toronto area where you're getting family money is helping. But let's say you have two, ch- two kids and one did it on their own 
And the other one, you had to lend a hundred grand so that they get they can buy their first house. Mm-hmm. Well, you do need to make a promissory note. Put that in, um, and if they're not paying you back, um, at least that the first child isn't kind of getting shortchanged. So it will come out of the will. It will come out distribution. Yeah. yeah. So basically, it is documented that there is a debt. You mm-hmm. can do a zero percent loan. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not a problem, but it should be part of the will. Um, and on top of that, if you are going to have it part of the will, sometimes you may capitalize the interest. Mm -hmm. Because if you gave money to one child 10 years ago, well, that means that money didn't make any money for 10 years. Yeah. So, and if you're actually, some of these um, people that are lending money, they're putting it on their own line of credit. Mm -hmm. So they're paying interest themselves so that the kids can have a house. Wow, yeah. Well, they should be at least charged the interest. And if they're not being paid the interest um, for them, at least you can capitalize it, Mm -hmm. meaning you can keep adding it up and compounding it. So reading the promissory note, the ones I've seen is you will actually say any interest unpaid will continue to compound. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, grandkids. This is definitely um, part of the new the new retirement is because the kids are are fairly strapped with new houses, childcare, putting the kids to rep hockey, whatever. Yeah, the RESPs is a great place for grandparents to help out. Mm-hmm. Put a few bucks away, put it into the RESPs. What a great investment. And the government's matching. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're getting government matching. <clears throat> and that is one of the best gifts. I personally think that you, sh- you as a grandparent, I'm not one, but mm-hmm. certainly would be uh, a great place. To, and I have a lot of grandparents that are doing it for their, for their grandkids. And also leaving them in the will. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say, okay, I want to give my grandkids half my estate. But quite often, even if you said a token amount, 5000 whatever the amount, it's always nice as a grandkid, as and as one as a recipient of a very small amount. It's at least you're thought of, mm-hmm. and you got a, a bit of money, and you could you know bought a mountain bike or whatever you did with her, or a right. new iPad or whatever. But you always know that at least you're in the will. Mm-hmm. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services Inc. You can call now, leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. And you can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Talking about the new retirement. Yes. And uh, we've gone through a lot of points. And it's interesting we do this on a regular basis. Sometimes we don't even think about the, you know, the kind of questions we get, mm-hmm. but these are normal conversations that Andy and I have on a regular basis, uh, real life situations, whether it's a second marriage, whether it's family loans, whether it's disability or looking after grandkids, these come up all the time. But it's interesting, you know, why reinvent the wheel? Mm-hmm. Sit down with your financial planner, make sure that you are looking after things as best you can, because it's amazing how costly it can be or you're not getting as much value. Yeah, There's so many ways to get more value with what you already have doing. You just need to fine tune it. Mm-hmm. So again, that's basically what we do and when we sit down with clients. So going on, continuing with the new retirement, um, getting the wills and power of attorneys done. Okay, I know it's very sim- simple and I know Andy talked about it earlier, but it's one of those ones that it's obvious, but people just don't do it. Yeah, And sometimes they just need reviewing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I know I just had mine done uh, last year again. It had been 20 years. Mm-hmm. But my dad was one executor and my mother-in-law was the other executor. Yeah. Everything well, my, changes. Yeah, my kids are older. Yeah. My, my kids are 20 and 25 now. Yeah. Okay, they can be executors. Right. And so we changed everything a little bit. Plus, of course, financial situation changes yeah. after time too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't need them as, I don't need guardians for my kids anymore. Yeah. Now they're the executors. That's a good point. Okay, so. They're now your guardians. <laughs> <laughs> and for those young ladies. vice versa. Oh, true enough. They'll, <laughs> yeah. they'll be looking after me someday. But. Uh, on a different note, the one thing I do hear is I don't really need a will. I don't have anything. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, if you have kids, you need a will. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You need a will simply for the guardians of your kids. Okay. Now, number 11 here on different points is annuities. Now, annuities were extremely common way back. And now what an annuity is, is you simply give money to an insurance company mm-hmm. and they promise to pay you X amount of dollars per month. Isn't that, that's the exact same as a pension fund. Yeah. Okay, we've been, people have had annuities forever, except they never just called it that. They had, they called it pensions. Mm-hmm. Well, the difference was two things is the rates are a lot lower now because one is the interest rates are lower. Yeah. And second, people are living longer. Mm-hmm. So that 200, let's say you had a $250,000 to invest mm-hmm. and, and you're saying, well, do I invest it and live off it? And now I have to look after the investments and you know the ups and downs of the stock market or the bonds or GICs, whatever it is, you have to look after that money. Or do I simply put it into an annuity and I get so many dollars a month, never have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Every month's like cash for life. Yeah. I just open my bank account on the first of every month and there's some money. Obviously hoping that you'll live longer. That's exactly the key. Mm-hmm. So I did a, a, a look at an annuity for $250,000 at a 65 year old with a 10-year guaranteed term, meaning that if you died the next day, you'd still get, your estate would get 10 years worth of payments. Right. Okay. So a male, because they're, and they would get a little less than a female, they would get $15,870 per year mm-hmm. or a little over around 1300 a month. Okay. I said, well, okay, that sounds not bad. Now, if it's 10 years, and you get, if you die the next day, that means you only got about $660,000 guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So that means the insurance company wins on that. They kept 90000 Yeah. So I said, okay, well, that's unlikely. Most people live more to past 75. So let's say they live to 80. And I worked it out that the, a male would end up with an average rate of return of, if they only live to 80, negative 0.6% per year. Hmm. They would have actually been better off to just stick it in a bank account, earn yeah, zero, yeah. and draw from it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say they live to eighty-five, the male, and that's uh, a little higher than the average. Mm-hmm. Okay, the average is around eighty-two, eighty-three, but the average return on that annuity is two point three nine percent. Nothing to write home about, but at least you know it's guaranteed. Yeah, if you live to ninety, you got three point nine two percent guaranteed. And if you live to 100, you got 5.31%. Ooh-wee. So, woohoo, yeah. So the longer you live, the better. But I look at these and none of that really thrilled me. But again, I'm in the business. Mm-hmm. I see you know, what potentially could be paid. But I, I do look at equities. Um, any kind of equity investment has certainly outperformed 2.5% a year mm-hmm. over that period of time. Females, on the other hand, um, they get a little less per year. So that same hundred two hundred fifty thousand dollars would get them fourteen thousand five thirty eight a year. So their return, if they died at age eighty, 
15 years later, they got a negative 1.66% return. Mm. And if they lived to 85, they still only got 1.5% a year. Where they, and again, we're looking at those, those, and mainly women are living past 100. They're getting, the ones that live 100 get 4.62% a year. Hmm. So you got to look at those genes and how, am I, how long am I going to live? Now, there is something called a joint and last survivor. That's when you combine the husband and wife together. Mm -hmm. And so if one dies, the other continues to get the same payment. And again, the less risk you take, um, the less return you get. And you'd only get 13136 a year from that 250000 and your return, even if you both live to age 85, would only be about half percent a year. Wow. So annuities might be part of your solution, but you really have to know, work out the returns. And I do find that, yeah, there's a convenience factor with annuities. People love them from that standpoint. Here's my money, simple, easy peasy, but what at what cost? We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. And you can check out old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Going to talk about spending in your retirement. Aren't you supposed to save everything during retirement? Are we allowed to spend? <laughs> well, pretty much you... You were saving for a good third of your life, and now you're trying to figure out how much can you spend. And, and because we just went over annuities and kind of the returns that they're getting, which, which is fairly low. Now, not to saying you couldn't perhaps have a piece of your money there, but what happens is people don't like to spend their money on the other side mm. because they're worried about running out. Yeah. And so, well, what I, I don't know the return. It might be better than annuity, but what if it's only, what if there's a negative year? What if the stock market goes down and there's other variables? That's just life. That's the new retirement. And we have mm -hmm. to really go through a cash flow analysis and find out what is your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Okay, what are your, all your costs, including vacation? Because when you're retired, every day is a weekend. Yeah, okay, that's right. Every day mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I get up and now what? Okay. No, and no paycheck. Yeah, and no, unless the paycheck's what, you know, Canada Pension Plan, yeah, old age security. Sure. Or the paychecks that we've created for you as our financial planners, you're getting this much from your non-registered, you're getting this much from your registered. Do we take out your TFSAs? No. There's lots of variables. How do we make sure you get your OAS every year? Mm -hmm. So we play that game. Um, the biggest one now, the funny thing is, first, first of all, is spending generally only drops by 5%. Really? Yeah. You know, all those people say, oh, you can live on 80% or 75% of what your pre-retirement was. People have so much time. Yeah. They're spending 90... It's surprising it doesn't go up. Well, good point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe the only reason is maybe they're out of just, debt. Yeah, you just don't have it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, that too. Yeah. You don't have the money to spend. And you don't want to create debt. Correct. So, and so what happens, they've actually watched this and the spending actually drops by about half, sorry, 5%, which isn't that much. Mm -hmm. And it actually, the costs start to rise after age 80 hmm. because now you are into personal care, right? okay? You're into more medications, mm -hmm. perhaps ramps, um, paying for more things around the house if you're going to stay at your house. Yeah, home care. Okay, um, retirement homes, of course. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see uh, 
things are leveled off and you're spending, and then all of a sudden you start to see this spike around age 80. So, mm-hmm. so the next question is, and this is one that was actually written in uh, Money Sense this uh, past month, uh, actually, sorry, last year, was should I work part-time in retirement? Mm-hmm. And I thought it was fascinating. I, I've been saying, you know, with for a long time, not necessarily for the money side of it, because I think people at retirement have a lot to give. Yeah. Um, it's not that, you know, just because you're at 65 is, you, oh, I'll put out the pasture now. Yeah. Um, perhaps it was more or less like that when they had a factory work and they were just burnt out after yeah. working 40 years at DeFasco, Stalco, what have you. Mm-hmm. And they were just done. They had nothing. They didn't want to work anymore. Mm-hmm. But now I find 65 year olds are so vibrant. Yeah. They they're still they're still with it. They want to do stuff. They want to they still want to contribute. They still want a sense of value. And working just for that reason alone mm-hmm. is social benefits. Yeah. Okay. There's working yeah, for a just purpose. The social circle. Oh yeah. yeah. That yeah. health. It's been proven that if you keep working, mm-hmm. generally speaking, your health is better. Mm-hmm. And I, I mentioned many times about this. He's now 83, I believe. He's still working twice a week as a mechanic. Yeah. Loves those yeah. days. He he gets up at five in the morning and works. He mm-hmm. loves it. Um, and there's just that sense of purpose again. It just makes you feel better. And you got something to talk to you about your, to your wife when you get home yeah. or your husband. Because yeah. Yeah. when if you're with them the whole time, what are you going to talk about? It's true. When the kids <laughs> leave, it's like they have to learn how to live to eat with each other all over again. Well, yeah, and you're living the same life together because you're with each other all the time. Yeah. So there's nothing new. There's nothing new. Yeah. Yeah, you're with me when that happened. So <laughs> well, I can't tell you anything. Yeah. So I was there. <laughs> remember? Do you remember? <laughs> oh yeah. So so they actually show that if you added money. So I looked at it. Let's say you added just a thousand dollars a month. You work part time. Well, that's twelve thousand a year. Mm-hmm. At five percent, that's two hundred forty thousand you would need to make that much money a Good year. Point, yeah. Okay, twelve thousand. And so, what the, the somebody actually did a study, and it showed the effect of part-time income on their retirement. And let's say both spouses worked part-time and made a thousand dollars a month from age sixty-five to seventy-five. So you got an extra two thousand a month then. Okay, it isn't the end of the world. Most of the times. Uh, it wouldn't take much to make a 250 yeah. bucks a week. Yeah. Okay. So it might be you're working two or three days a week. Well, it turned out that in this example, this person had $500,000 and he would here, they would run out of money combined, would run out of money to age 83 at their current spending. And they didn't want to have a drop in lifestyle. Yeah. So based on their investments, half a million dollars, they got to zero at age 83. But if they simply carried on a part-time job for 10 years, and you had that kind of transition time where you went from full-time to part-time, you didn't run out of money until you're 92. Wow, what a difference. Massive difference. Yeah. So in this case, not only does it make sense from a, uh, you know, a social, it, it's a financial. Mm-hmm. It, it just makes sense all around. And you know, basically allows probably to live a little less st- with less stress too. Because you're not worried about your paycheck. You're not worried about eroding your principal. You know what's nothing worse is watching your money go down in value. Yeah. And you slowly watch it tick away knowing you're going to run out. Mm. And unfortunately, there is cases. And you get to a point of no return. Because you started with, you know, say 100000 And you're spending just a bit more than it's making. But now you're down to 50000 And now you're spending way more than it's making. Yeah. And you can actually see you will be running out of money at a certain time. So having that part-time job, 
makes a massive difference. And you can always take that extra income, put it into a tax-free savings account, which I'll be talking again a bit more next time we get together, and create another tax-free pot of money for when your second retirement will be at age 75. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.